As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello once again. This is Full Time with Meg Linehan. That is me. I am Meg. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. And as always, here with you every week on this show as part of The Athletic Podcast Network. This week, I am joined by Annie Peterson, who covers women's soccer for the Associated Press. And we covered a lot of ground when it comes to the NWSL Fall Series, including some more in-depth thoughts on her local team, Portland Thorns FC, plus this month's upcoming U.S. Women's National Team training camp. As usual, I am recording the news on Wednesday, so here's all the latest. This is an all-USA edition of the news for you. There will be plenty more on this later in the show, but the 27-player roster is in for the U.S. Women's National Team camp, and there's a huge NWSL influence. But the big name that earned plenty of headlines this past week was Katarina Macario of Stanford picking up her first senior team call-up. Now, since there's no game attached to this camp, starting on Sunday the 18th and running for 10 days, it really means that this camp is a developmental opportunity. And with some big names in Europe or missing out due to injury in Lloyd, Pugh, and Rapino, or family commitments in Julie Ertz, that means getting a real look at players like Christy Mewis again, Sophia Smith, and yes, Macario at the senior team level. So on the first day as her first U.S. Women's National Team call-up, Macario also shared that she had officially become a U.S. citizen. Born in Brazil, there are still some steps between her call-up and actually taking the field for the United States. She needs a physical passport to start, and U.S. soccer has to petition FIFA to allow her to play. But head coach Flacco Andonovsky was, quote, pretty confident, unquote, that this would happen before the 2021 Olympics. So for more on the U.S. national team roster, there's a quick reaction story from me on Vlaco's press call last Friday, but I also did go one-on-one with him on Wednesday, and we'll have an extremely thorough feature on the U.S. women's national team, basically position by position with some extra stuff in there. There's plenty of insight from the man himself. I learned some things on the call, so I really cannot wait to share that with you. Stay tuned. We are also down to the final two games of the NWSL Fall Series, and for everyone at home, we're also back to big CBS to watch the game. We've got Marta versus Dabinia for one more time in 2020 as the Pride and the Courage get that big CBS feature at 4 p.m. Eastern, and then OL Reign and Utah Royals FC send us out at 8 p.m. Eastern for the final NWSL match of 2020. Can you believe it? All right, so we've still got a very solid offer for you if you start a new subscription to The Athletic because of this podcast. $1 a month is still a go at theathletic.com slash full-time. I'm really excited, not going to lie, to take a few steps back from the routine of games, right, and get to start thinking about building out a year of coverage for you as we get our first U.S. Women's National Team camp in a while and start really thinking about the 2021 Olympics in a real way again. And you can go on that journey with me by subscribing and sticking around. Plus, 
Plus, Katie Wyatt has finally started this week as the new full-time UK women's football writer, so there's plenty of more dedicated coverage over in England for you to read as well, which is perfect timing as the NWSL goes into off-season mode, and we really start to embrace both the fall weather and mornings full of coffee and football over the next few months, or tea if you're into that. All right, again, that's theathletic.com slash full-time. And thank you once again to so many of you who have left five-star ratings and new reviews for the podcast. I particularly loved this one signed as the Western New York Flash. I'm going to assume assume it's not that entire team leaving this review, but it also really made me smile as it said, thank you, Meg, for your unrivaled coverage of women's soccer and for helping create a community of like-minded fans. Perhaps, just as importantly, thank you to The Athletic for sponsoring this coverage and for investing in this space. Super well said. Just want to say thank you for that review and thank you for getting it. All right. So let's get to it. Annie Peterson is here from the AP. She is truly one of my favorite people to ever see in a press box. And I also think that her role in covering women's soccer in this country is so crucially important. So I'm very happy to welcome her to the show. We recorded this interview on Monday and here it is. All right, Annie, I wanted to start because I actually I was thinking about some memories that we've had. I remember the two of us being on the Nike campus before, I want to say the 2016 NWSL championship. Remember that when we... I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> and you know what was intense about that was um, we played that mini yeah. game of soccer. Yeah. That was really fun. Right. And I think I was goalie. <laughs> It was uh, it was very intense because they like they bring you onto the Nike campus, right? They give us this whole presentation about their plans for women's football. And remember, like we walked in that room and there's like this, like every mannequin has a different NWSL <laughs> uh, jersey. And these when they were not very good either. So like, I feel like it would be much more <laughs> impressive now. Back then it was just like, okay, it's stock kits. Thank you. Like, it's great, but... Okay. Um, and then they were like, here's a bag of stuff. Go get change. We're going to go play pickup. And they had like flown in pros to play with us. And it's just like yes. a whole bunch of journalists being like, I'm not prepared for this <laughs> at all. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. Like, you're going to see how out of shape I am. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I know. And, and like, I'm 55. So <laughs> it's just kind of like... Holy cow. But that was the day in Oregon that there was a mass shooting down at the community college in, um, I forget the name of the town down south. Um, But I had to like suddenly leave during the game and go and help the AP cover that event. So um, it was, um, it was pretty intense. That whole day was really intense. I'm, I'm, I go from one second from playing soccer with, like pros and yeah. you guys. And yeah. then on the other hand, going into the office and then working until like one o'clock in the morning on, on a mass shooting. So it was a pretty eventful day. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, and also this, this brings me to the next question I had for you in a very unintentional way, because I had personally very much forgotten that you had to leave early in order to go tend to AP duties. But I wanted to talk to you about like your history as an AP reporter, right? Like, we're going to get to France in a second, but you know, you have told me some stories about AP coverage. That is definitely one of them. Um, when did you start covering women's soccer for the AP? And then what are your other duties as an <laughs> AP reporter, which are apparently very intense? So, yeah. So uh, I started covering women's soccer. It was kind of, um, it was kind of weird. I, uh, Nancy Armour, from USA Today previously covered women's soccer for the Associated Press and she went to USA Today. So I had just, I hadn't really, I covered soccer, but I hadn't really focused on women's soccer. I was involved a little bit in the World Cup in 2002, but only because it came through Portland. Um, But I, um, I wrote a story on uh, the artificial turf issue. And uh, Tom Hanks tweeted about it, right? So um, that like kind of made my story. Um, like the day before the story was supposed to go to on the wire, Tom right. Hanks tweeted. So I, you know, quickly ripped up, rewrote, put Tom Hanks in the lead, right? Because yeah. Hollywood. Yep. And um, 
and that story did really well um, globally, actually. And um, so about, about, I would say about two weeks later, I get this call on my home phone machine. Yeah. These were in the days when we had machines. Right. And um, our, our, my home phone number and the, the, um, the, uh, the caller ID was the New York office. And I thought, why are they calling me on my home phone when I have an AP issued AP iPhone in my hands? And so I was kind of freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, they're calling me on my home phone. That's it. I've been fired. I'm being laid off. That's the end of it. And they said, and instead, and it was my boss and my boss's boss and the other boss ahead of him. And they said, how would you like to go to Canada and cover the Women's World Cup in 2015? And I'm like, okay, that, yeah, sure, that <laughs> sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I'll go to a World Cup. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, so, so, but like they did, what they left out was, okay, you have to cover the entire World Cup, <laughs> like every single game. Right. You have to book your travel. Oh, you man, have yeah. to, you know, all of it. You have to do everything. So like literally it was then, okay, well, I guess I've got to get some flights together. And, you know, you, you didn't know where the U.S. team was going to go, but my primary job obviously was the U.S. team. So, um, so that's how I got into women's soccer. But as the AP reporter in Oregon, I also covered the Portland Trailblazers. I covered the Oregon Ducks uh, men's uh, football, basketball, Obviously, the women's basketball team is amazing and was super fun last year. Oregon, state football, basketball, and any other stuff that comes in, up. We also, Oregon is also known for track and field. Mm -hmm. So, like, this coming summer, I'll be doing the track and field, um, the track and field Olympic qualifying events here in, in, uh, <laughs> in Eugene. So... I do a little bit of everything, but I'm like, I'm considered like the AP's MLS writer. So I cover the MLS too. And then women's soccer, you know, when I can. <laughs> it's just like, how many different things can you be following? Yeah. But also like, it does seem like you, you get pulled to news, like to act, you know, outside of the realm of sports. I feel yeah, like and I get pulled in on editing a lot too. So right. um, I've been around for a while, so um, I kind of know, you know, how it's done. So um, I'll do like editing shifts. This summer was really intense because I did baseball shifts, which was bizarre for me because I haven't had a baseball team um, in you know, years and years. I used to be in San Francisco, so I covered the Giants and the A's. But um, but it was funny because I was the loser reporter. So every time there was a baseball game, I had to jump on the post-game Zoom with the right. losing team. And, oh, my God, it was, like, the most depressing job I've ever had. It was, like, everybody talking about how they lost. I, I, went, I would do, like, eight Zooms in one day, and then right. I would go to bed and think, oh, my God, I'm so depressed. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I don't know. I feel like there's maybe like a book in there just of like the summer of losing baseball. Like, 
<laughs> you never know. You never know. All right, let's let's talk about your coverage of women's soccer. Obviously, we spent a lot of time together last summer in France, bouncing from uh, strange hotel to strange hotel, right? And then I got on my my Airbnb adventure because I was so nervous about if something happened to the U.S. national team. I didn't want to jinx it, so I was like, I'm going to go stay in on air conditioned. Airbnbs <laughs> through the knockout rounds in the middle of a heat wave in France and have a great time. Um, what What is it like covering a World Cup for the AP, right? Like, I feel like our experiences of France were both somewhat the same and yet completely different because we were doing the most different work. Like, every time we sat next to each other, I was looking at your laptop and I was like, this is so different <laughs> from what I do. <laughs> So I have to cover every game, almost every game. So we had AP, um, I was like kind of the lead writer in a team of reporters that came in and kind of parachuted into games. So we also had um, the, uh, Jerome Pugmire from the Paris Bureau, Rob Harris, who's the global AP soccer writer, um, a few other people parachuted in. But so like, well we would cover the media availabilities for um, the U.S. women's team. That night, I was covering, like, the three matches that were going on. So, you know, you got often saw me in the hotel lobby, you know, in right. front of the TV watching these games. Um, so, yeah, so I, we covered every single game um, in the tournament, and I covered a lot of them for the non-U.S. games, um, and the not, I think we covered, we usually covered more on England and we usually covered more on France, but for some of the other games, we just, you know, did 150, 200 words, right? Real right. brief, five paragraphs. Um, and then obviously when we got to the knockout rounds, things became a little more intense. Um, but yeah, so that was basically what I did. So the U.S. team was my main job, but I also, it was, you know, it was uh, fun because I, you and I, you know, would like jet off on the bus to <laughs> oh, right. a bunch of different <laughs> random matches. I think we saw, we the, saw the Nigeria game that we went to. We were the only two on this giant bus. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> like, right. me and Annie want to go, we're going. Yeah, that's right. And then the, the Netherlands game, which right. was like the first game in ROMs that um, we went to, um, that was fun. And, and, and yeah, and I, that night was crazy because I think it was, was it Marta that announced she was injured that game? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't going to play the first two matches. Um, and then um, uh, who's the German? Jennifer. Um, oh, Marazan. Marazan. Yeah. yeah. She got, she announced that she wasn't going to play or right. she got injured. And right. so, so that, and then that game particularly had um, a U.S. woman who was refereeing. And um, so I was doing a little story on her. And so it was like, we just, I was just like, oh yeah, let's go watch the Netherlands. This will be <laughs> <We're>, fun. <yeah. laughs> it turned into this big, huge, massive, like night of um, a million stories. Right, so. right. Yeah, that is the one, you know, now we have this new news feature at The Athletic that is on the site. So that way, like now I would probably be writing a lot more off of these like smaller news stories. But back then it was just kind of like, I could get away with a tweet and then just like go back and do thing whereas you're like okay I gotta I gotta write this I gotta <laughs> just like but also I do want to let the record show that I would not have probably survived France without you simply because I stole your wi-fi so many times <laughs> on the bus. you have like this great wi-fi hotspot, and I would always just like be struggling and you were like Meg it's okay you can log on and file your story and like it made such a difference you know I wouldn't have survived France without you either because I was having a really, really crappy day one day and I was just kind of walking around Roms and we went there, there was the, the Notre Dame church mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. and you said, and I saw you outside and you said, go in. Yeah. You know, you yeah, have, yeah, to, I remember that. you have to go in. And I went in and it was like the most grounding experience in the entire world. I mean, I just sat there and just, you know, just like 
kind of took in the whole, the visually, it was just such an amazing church. And then they had the Mark Chagall. Um, mm-hmm. Stained glass uh, windows uh, on the back. Stained yeah. glass windows. Yeah. And, um, oh my God, it just centered me. Right. And it, you know, it was like, okay, one bad day is not going to make this tournament. You know, we're, you know, we're going to get through this. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was just, it was great. So you got me through, <laughs> you got me through the tournament more than, you know, you know, just by, you know. Yeah. I, I feel like people think, okay, going in the world cup to cover the world cup has got to be this great experience. And it is, but it's also like the sleep deprivation that you're going through. Like you're filing also, you know, it's it's a much more convenient time for like editors back home in America compared to like you've just been through a night game and you're trying to file and like get through edits. And so for me, who is really turning like basically a feature around after every single U.S. Women's National Team game, it'd be like five in the morning sometimes until I would finally like getting back from the stadium sometimes was a real issue. Like Leon was definitely <laughs> like that stadium right. is not close <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um I think I had like two or three days off that entire time and they weren't really days off, but like, I mean, one of, one of the days I, it was a terrible decision, but it was also the greatest decision where Steph Young and Odong and I decided to go to, um, Disneyland in Paris, which was like, okay, it's not going to be a restful day, but we are just going to be like, nope, no soccer today. (laughs) We were going to opt out of everything. I think there was a media availability that day too. And we were just like, nope, we got to, we got to walk away (laughs) and go do something that is completely unrelated to everything else. And it really does like, it is kind of shocking to me who had not worked an entire world cup like that. Like you need to find those pockets where you can like be like, oh, right. I'm a human being. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I work straight through, um, but it's kind of par for the course, right? So when you cover the World Cups, any of the World Cups for AP or for, um, or the Olympics for that matter, it's, it's, you know, a grind from beginning to end. So you just kind of like, you know, going into it, you're mentally prepared that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have a lot of time off that, you know, after, after, um, France, my kids took me to Mexico for a week and wouldn't let me take my laptop and (laughs) just said, you're not doing anything except sitting on the beach and drinking margaritas. And that was it, you know, so, um, so that helped me, you know, come back around myself. Um, But yeah, I just, you know, I go into those things just going, okay, we're in for the long haul. The hardest part was, you know, for me as a reporter, soccer's a little bit easier because there's fewer matches. Mm-hmm. When I was covering volleyball, I used to cover volleyball at the Olympics, and that was a match. That, you know, the matches would start at 10 o'clock in the morning, and the last match would end, would start at 10 o'clock at night. So you were basically at the arena from 9 a.m. till like usually one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And then you got up and you did it again. Yeah. So, uh, so that was, so that, that was really hard. I mean, anybody who covers that sport, you know, yeah, that's like early days of like a U.S. Open, right? Where it's just like nonstop everywhere. Yeah. I can only imagine. I did the U.S. Open once from a work perspective and I got there for the for the first match of the day and then I think I got home at like two o'clock in the morning and it was just like it was just non-stop tennis and yeah I was just like wow okay <laughs> newfounders <laughs> soccer's like soccer's better yeah yeah like <laughs> I get it now I get it all right let's let's actually talk some soccer we are now basically through the NWSL fall series um sad, sad. I do <laughs> Sad and yet also I think everybody's probably a little ready to be done again already. Like that is generally the vibe I get from around the end of yourself. What have been your overall impressions of the fall series? Obviously we both covered Challenge Cup, right? Which did have a bit of a different feel to it. Fall series has felt a little smaller in scale, but what have what have your overall impressions of these, you know, four games for each team been? Well, I have, you know, really enjoyed getting to see kids 
play. Um, that has been my absolute favorite part of the whole thing. You know, just, you know, finally Sophia Smith came back for the thorns, just speaking locally here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that has been probably my Morgan Weaver. Holy cow. Right. Um, uh, so that has probably been my favorite part of it. Um, I, you know, I, I was, I got into a discussion with Jen Cooper who runs, um, keeper notes and I kept, cause I kept saying, you know, the games don't count. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, and she was like, oh no, they, they count. Right. You know, and, and she was, she was like, they're counting for me yeah. and I'm keeping track of the goals and everything. And I, I made the comment, I was like, oh, well, yeah, but the season is going to have an asterisk in the rest record books. And then I thought, you know, Jen's right. This is, it's unfair to treat it like it doesn't count because mm -hmm. it does count for these kids and right. it also counts in an amazing way for talent evaluation for these coaches. This has been a really unique opportunity for coaches and pe you know, people who are in charge of these kind of things to see what kind of talent, what kind of depth they have right. and you know, make some really important decisions going into next season. So, uh, so, all respect to Jen Cooper, she's right. And I should say that these games do count. They just count in a different way than than I would normally right. normally think. Right. Yeah. Than a regular a regular season as we we know it in the NWSL. I do I think let's let's dig in on Thorns a little bit. Obviously you are local to Portland. Um, it is always one of my great pleasures to go cover a game in Portland and walk into the press box at Providence Park and probably try to sit next to you, depending on where Thorne's PR Ian has Caitlin. sat me. <laughs> yep. Ian Caitlin. Yep. Um, okay, so Thorne's, you just mentioned Sophia Smith, right? Number one overall draft pick. There has also been quite the story of end of his fall series in Christine Sinclair. And <laughs> I would like to... Sinclair fan girl. Yeah. All right. I mean, just, that's, that's valid. That's valid. Yeah. Just so you know, let's it's such an interesting dynamic with this team, right? They did not necessarily have the challenge cup that they wanted, right? I think the joy of their challenge cup was knocking out North Carolina and getting that that pleasure of knocking out North Carolina in the challenge cup. But obviously, you know, not necessarily reaching the expectations that they would have had from that team, not a great group stage of Challenge Cup. And then you go into fall series and then they go unbeaten through the four games and lock up the community shield. But let's talk about Christine Sinclair, six games, <laughs> six goals in four games. And then Sophia Smith, who for the first time she stepped onto the field in a Thorns kit, what, what was it, 17 minutes in to her first match, scoring a goal that counts but doesn't count but counts, right? Where where do you see this team building around these two players who are at such opposite ends of their NWSL careers at this point? Well, I mean, Christine kind of proved that she still got it. I mean, it just freaks me out that she's 37 years old. I, I, every single time I see her, I'm like, holy cow, when I was 37 years old, you know, it's like it hurt to walk. So uh, she's amazing. And she, you know, she obviously still has the Olympics in her. Mm -hmm. I think that it's fair to say. I was, you know, I was skeptical, honestly, uh, going into you know, we were both at qualifying this year in Carson. Um, I was skeptical going into that tournament. I thought, you know, well, Christine is slower. You know, we've watched her. She has, you know, she has lost a step from, you know, what she was four years ago or five years ago now in the Olympics in, um, in, the, uh, in the World Cup in Canada. But she has the intelligence mm -hmm. to be able to kind of recreate her game so that you know we saw her yesterday playing really deep um in the midfield and and she just has this uncanny ability to be able to kind of adjust her game to not only her age and her experience but also to you know the type of opposition that she's 
facing on the field. Um, so I, you know, I have been a fan of Christine. She went to, obviously she went to the University of Portland here. So I used to see her there. I was not covering women's soccer at the time. And I used to just go to the game, ran, go to the games randomly as fan, a fan, because those are fun games too. Right. I mean, you guys, uh, you guys have seen the 25,000 that have filled Providence Park. Yeah. Well, they pack Merlot Field for women's games at the University of Portland. And it can be pouring rain, and it usually is here in Portland. And all of those stands are uncovered, and those people are still there. So um, they, it's really fun to see the fan base, you know, um, going. And, and I've told this story a million times on a bunch of different podcasts, but... Um, uh, she, Christine Sinclair, after she won the national championship, the second one, she, they had a parade in Portland, which, oh my God, they had a parade in Portland for the NCAA women's soccer champions. But it just, again, Portland is different. Um, we're very fortunate here. Um, but they had a parade and they were all, all the team, the, the whole team was kind of on this open air kind of bus, double decker bus. And Christine, I like grabbed Christine as she was like leaning over the edge. And uh, Christine had been, the, had been coached by Clive Charles and he passed away. And Clive Charles is kind of this legendary figure in, in Portland, in Portland soccer. And, um, and I said, Christine, you know, the typical reporter question, how do you feel? that yeah. you just won a championship. And she looked down at me and she said, somewhere Clive Charles is smiling. And, uh, and it just made my whole story. It was an amazing, amazing story. So I have been a big fan of Christine ever since that moment because she handed me a story on a platter. Um, and, um, you know, just watching the progression of her career has been really interesting. Now, on the flip side, Sophia Smith. So, I did a story, I interviewed Sophia a little while ago, like two or three weeks ago, um, uh, right after she came in for that first game when mm -hmm. she, she scored. And it was funny because I got, and I don't know if I should say this, but I got a text from Merritt Paulson and he said, you know, Sophia Smith, during that game, and he said, Sophia Smith has been just tearing it apart in practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like amazing what you guys don't see, right. the things that she can do. Um, and I hope I'm not stepping on Merritt's toes there. But, um, but, uh, but it, it, I talked to a couple of other people and they, everyone else said the same thing that, that her, her talent is immediate and her impact is immediate when she steps onto the field. Um, it was disappointing that we only got to see her for a short window uh, of time, but I think that she's probably, you know, she's, she and Charlie, Simone Charlie, I think are, you know, the next, the next step for the Portland Thorns. I think they're the, you know, they're the future. So, right. um, and I'd like to see Morgan Weaver in that, that conversation too, because I've, I've liked watching her as a player ever since last year at Washington state. So, um, but she, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Sophia is, she's fast. She's a game changer. She's just very smart about how she, um, kind of well she's Stanford you yeah, know yeah. she's really smart about <laughs> yeah. how she like conducts herself and everything I mean she's just she's just really she's a pro's pro right right we're going to talk about another Stanford kid later on in the show right <laughs> oh uh, gee I didn't see that coming yeah I know right <laughs> just some small news all right one more on the thorns front Nadine Ongerer has really created quite the goalkeeping pool if we want to talk about another women's soccer legend that is in Portland. But, you know, you have A.D. Franch, who has missed the summer really due to injury. Uh, Bella Bixby, again, uh, injury, um, taking her out during Challenge Cup. But then you also kind of have the rise of Britt Eckerstrom, who has been kind of around in the NWSL for a very long time. And now we're kind of, everybody's looking at this goalkeeping pool in Portland and going like, well, first of all, how do you keep that pool together during an expansion draft, right? Like everybody's kind of looking at them going like, well, Britt Eckerstrom is probably going some, it's it's going to be between Bixby and Eckerstrom of, in terms of like potential expansion yeah. draft picks. 
What do you think the special ingredient has been for this goalkeeping pool in Portland so far? Nadine. You yeah. know, clearly <laughs> it's Nadine. Um, I, I, you know, I think Britt Eckerstrom had the goal, the save of the entire fall series. That one, oh my God, it was so amazing. So um, uh, I think, you know, I was talking to Nadine about this when she I did a story when she was named the backup goalkeeper uh, for the Thorns. Also, and- what injustice that we did not see Nadine Angra, first of all, even dress Right. While she was technically backup goalkeeper, you should at least be in a kit, Nadine. But second of all, put her in for five minutes, Mark. Come on. Give the people what they want. You know what I was like super disappointed about was the NWSL website has no picture for her. Yeah. It's just a little gray dot. Yeah, that's yeah. The world's greatest goalkeeper of all time. Well, okay. Maybe second, maybe yeah. we could debate that. That, that could probably but, be its own podcast episode of Hope Solo <laughs> versus Nadine Anker. Exactly. Have Nadine on and ask her about that okay. because she'd probably give you a great answer. Um, but yeah, I, 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 was, I was honestly disappointed that we didn't get to see her. But, you know, when I talked to her, she was like, you know, it's a group of genuinely unselfish players they're just all trying to get better and they all realize that they're stronger when all the pieces work um and she goes like they're all best friends and they all hang out together and and i thought that was you know i thought that was great i thought that was a good answer um and nadine just you know nadine is nadine so uh she has them you know she has them all working together and toward a goal and um she can be really german you know (laughs) in you know discipline Mm -hmm. uh but on the other hand everybody knows nadine's sense of humor and i think that combination as a goalkeeper coach really works so you know they know when it's time for business and nadine makes it clear Mm -hmm. and they also know when it's time to just you know kick balls at the other random players on the field. So <laughs> <laughs> valid. valid. Right? Yeah. I mean, Nadine had been known to chuck a ball during an interview yeah. uh, with another player all the time. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. So. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right. In terms of let's let's zoom back out a little bit. You know, obviously, this has also been the year of Houston Dash, the ascendancy of the Houston Dash. Sky Blue, I think, has turned it around a bit. I got to, to go out to their final game this past weekend and actually be in the stands and take some photos and uh, watch them actually defeat Chicago Red Stars, right? Three to one, which is not necessarily a result that we would have seen (laughs) in other seasons, right? Um, You know, I think that there are still some questions around some of the other teams in the league, like OL Reign have not quite found their direction. I think Utah Royals FC are obviously going through a lot, both on and off the field. Pride, we still (laughs) don't really know what they're going to look like for 2021. And then, you know, you have a North Carolina Courage team um, who got knocked out by Portland in Challenge Cup, but also do not look, uh, their roster is not the same that it would have been for fall series. You have Chicago Red Stars, right, who are kind of like just on the Chicago Red Stars course, as always. We have seen their depth, right? We have seen everything along those lines. And then Washington Spirit going through their kind of youth revolution around Ashley Sanchez. losing Rose Lavelle, where, you know, looking ahead to 2021, we're also getting an expansion draft incoming. Where do you see maybe these top teams? Like if you had to start thinking about, okay, we're going to probably see these teams rise to the top. Would you have Portland in that top, you know, three, four teams? Do you think Houston Dash has the potential to keep what they've built in 2020 and keep that into a more regular, regular season, right? Has the North Carolina courage kind of finally lost <laughs> that North Carolina courageness about them, right? You know, 
maybe they are going to be underdogs again. They could, they could very well be, right? This is not going to be the same midfield. So where, you know, if you're, if you're looking ahead at 2021, obviously we do not know the expen- the results of an expansion draft yet and how players are going to move around. But based on what you've seen between Challenge Cup and Fall Series, where do you see the kind of like general trends of the league going for the next year? Well, you know, I tend to really agree you know, both Paul Riley and, and Rory Dames have said that this is a development year. You know, mm-hmm. this is, this is you know, one of those reset years where, I mean, North Carolina hasn't had anybody, yeah. right? Any of their big stars, right? I mean, no offense. No offense yeah, it's Dabinia, right? It's Dabinia and right. Lynn Williams and, and Abby Dahl. Like, they have a few pieces, but it's not that, like, starting 11 that we have seen that is just... A yeah. lot of names. And I, so I think, so I think oftentimes it has to do with the attitude of, you know, the people at the top. So with Paul Riley and Rory Dames, they're treating it as a development year. These games don't count. Um, so they're taking a look at what else they have. And I think it's important for them to look at what else they have because of the expansion draft coming up. Because what are the pieces that you want to retain and what are the pieces that you're okay with letting go? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so in that way, I don't think that the fall series tells us that much about next season. I think North Carolina is still going to be the team to beat. Um, It just is, Mm -hmm. right? And then, uh, you know, with Chicago, I think that part of this season was kind of spent kind of figuring out how to do it without Sam Kerr. Right. And so they saw some different pieces. So, uh, So I don't have... I don't know if they will still be the cream of the crop, although they did get to this, uh, the finals at the, the the Challenge Cup, but I think they're still kind of working that out. They're mm-hmm. still working their way through the roster. Um, I think that the Portland Thorns have fantastic depth, uh, so I think they're going to be fine. But I agree with you. The question mark for me really is O.L. Reign, and, you know, what is that team going forward? Yeah. And, you know, is Megan Rapino a part of that picture? And is Megan Rapino um, in a situation where she's, you know, I mean, could Megan Rapino do an Abby Wambach mm-hmm. and say, I'm not going to play for the NWSL, right. but I still want to play in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, could that actually, could that happen? And what do they do? What does what does the rain do without that kind of veteran leadership kind of force that you know the general on the field that right. kind of is the glue that puts it all together? So I think that OL Rain is the the most the, the the team I'm just going, wow, I don't know. Right. You know, I love Shirley Cruz mm-hmm. and I think that she, once she gets settled into the team, she's going to make a bigger difference. I'm not that, um, I don't have that many question marks about um, the pride. I think the pride, you know, I I don't know. I think the pride have all the pieces. I think it's just a matter of putting it together. Yeah, I, I think like the question that. is, can they get everyone But You know, they had assembled this roster that they really did seem to like, right? And then they didn't get to play it in the Challenge yeah. Cup. But then... All of these pieces left, right? And most of them really are on loans. But then the question is, you know, like, do you get an Allie Riley back and 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 that sort of yeah. thing, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that obviously, again, what you're saying, this this leadership at the top, right? We have seen now the investment from Orlando in terms of, you know, hiring Amanda Duffy to be EVP for their team. They're hiring another role underneath her to be general manager, Right having the training facilities, like the investment there is happening, right? And there was obviously some real work for that roster ahead of 2020. And now just the question becomes, you know, do you do you get to like basically reset for 2021 and like draw a mulligan essentially and try right. it again? 
Right. And what happens with Alex Morgan, right? Right. Going forward too, right. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Marta. let's, let's yeah. not forget Marta. <laughs> what happens to Marta next year? Right. So, um, you know, is she getting to the point where she wants to walk away? I, you know, I have, uh, we, we, I have always in following Marta, it's a, it's always like she's just right on the cusp of retiring. Right? <laughs> but know? that's been like for eight years now, right? And what's funny, right. like I went down to Orlando for MLS All-Star Game last year as part of like an athletic thing where I was like the only one who did not really have work to do. So it's like, hi, Orlando Pride. Can I talk to Marta? Is that okay? And I just remember like sitting at this picnic bench with her and it was, you know, like weeks removed from the World Cup. And she was sitting there and I was like, when you came back from the World Cup, like obviously you had this like tremendously emotional moment, right? Where you're on national, international television, like oh, yeah. making this plea, right? And then you come back and you're like immediately playing. And and her answer was like, well, Mark Skinner, the head coach, called me and was like, take some time off. Like you need to decompress. And she was like, no, I need to play. Like there is just, like oh, that wow. is how I feel like she is just wired to be like, my healing is going to come through trying to win more games. Like, that's how I want to play this. And so for me, like, yes, the the conversation around Marta is like, it's so funny because we, she's been around for so long. It's just like this sense of like, we've always had her. And, you know, maybe it is kind of like a LeBron James, right? Like him winning this, this fourth uh, trophy. Obviously, we have not really seen that, unfortunately, on Marta for the international stage. But like, you know, for basically for both of them, like for as long as they want to play and like we are actually able to watch them, like I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it because like with Marta, you still, I don't know. She's just, she is such an interesting human being from every level and, and, and an interesting player, but definitely her Instagram story is one of my primary forms of <laughs> entertainment. So exactly, I know, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I want to end um, with, let's talk about this U.S. Women's National Team camp. So as soon as the fall series ends, the next day, U.S. Women's National Team camp begins. There is one name, again, a Stanford kid, yes. also Brazil-related, Katarina yeah. Macario. Um, yeah. Pia, Pia has to be just like, <laughs> damn! <laughs> Yeah, although like I feel like you know for the men's national team, there's always this question of like, will they go to whatever other like? And for for this one, it's always kind of been like the goal has been the U.S. women's national team, which I think is at least like I'm trying to imagine the U.S. women's national team fan base going through the same sort of angst that the men's national team fan base goes through with every dual national where it's like, will they declare for the men's national team? And I'm just trying to imagine that and just. I, I'm glad we didn't have to live through it. <laughs> All right. So we were both on the call with Vlako and Danofsky last week. Um, let's let's start with our Stanford kid, <laughs> Katarina. Where, you know, so Vlako says potentially we could have the paperwork. You know, they have to petition FIFA, right, for her to actually play. She actually has to get a physical passport as well, which in COVID-19 times, I don't couldn't even tell you how long that's going to take, too. Right. Um, where are you in the the base of like this is going to be an immediate impact on this team? No. Okay. No, I'm not. I I I I love her. She's an amazing player. Um holy cow, 32 goals. Jeez, you know, mm-hmm. that's insane. Um and uh she's just a joy to watch and she is somebody who will have an impact. I just think that um, the jump to national team play takes a little bit of adjustment. Mm -hmm. And I think that she's just going to be in that, you know, it'll be interesting to see if she makes the Olympic roster because there's only 18. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if you're Vlaco, do you bring her to give her that experience knowing that someday she's going to be the face of the team and potentially by 2023 right like right right by australia so so do you do that um the the other thing is you know that is 
that's a really crowded position yep. with really, really talented players who are really good and really smart and everything else. So, so no, I am not, I do not believe the moment she steps on the field, she's going to have an impact. Um, and maybe not for the first year, but do I believe that she's like the future? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Right. Right. All right. The other big part of this roster is obviously we've got everyone in Europe is just staying in Europe, which is definitely the right call from a logistical point of view, but also meant a huge amount of NWSL talent getting called in. Obviously, Sophia Smith, right? One of these names, Ashley Sanchez. Um, Was there anyone that really stuck out to you from an NWSL point of view uh, who got the call up that you think could potentially make a fight for a, a spot going to the Olympics? Um, so first of all, I have to say, oh my God, Sarah Gordon, yay, (laughs) she made the team. I'm so stoked about that. I can't even tell you. Um, uh, I've been, um, an admirer of her play for a long time and, um, I'm really super stoked that she got a place on the team. Um, again, Christy Mewis, go, you know, (laughs) just go do it. Right. You know, go have your day, right? I'm excited about that. Shea Groom, same thing. Um, Just amazing. But do I think that anybody, any of those names are going to crack the Olympic roster? No, I don't. You know, I think Christy Mewis has the best chance, actually. Um, If she can, you know, maintain that momentum, um, that she had, you know, here this summer, mm-hmm. you know, but that's, that's also a big ask. You don't know if when the NWSL's team, you know, the NWSL season starts up again, you know, and all the teams are back to full strength, is she going to have the, the kind of impact that she has? I mean, a lot of it, you know, we gotta, we gotta think of the NWSL as a lot of it, you know, a lot of what's going on with the teams are the players who aren't there. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, so, you know, when Christy goes and Christy and Shea go up against those teams, you know, that are, that have Rose Lavelle on them, that have Sam Mewis on them, is there, is there going to be the same opportunity for them to kind of shine? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I am glad that Christy Mewis is getting another shot just because, I mean, I've been around long enough to remember the failed experiment of Christy Mewis as a left back. Um, oh, which right. <laughs> was, oh, I forgot. was a bad idea for everyone involved, <laughs> but especially Christy Mewis, honestly. Um, you know, like she's got such an interesting premise, but obviously, I mean, you're looking at a midf- midfield where if we're, if we're in a 4-3-3 situation with the U.S. Women's National Team, you've got Julia Ertz, Roosevelt, Sam Mewis, and Lindsey Horan all theoretically trying to figure out how to put those four players on the field in a three-person midfield. And like we've seen where the debate is, right? So where does a Christy Mewis come into play in terms of depth, right? Like what what player could she potentially step in for? And maybe it's the backup position for a Roosevelt type, maybe. But yeah, on an 18-player roster, like I feel like Christy Mewis is going to be one of those players that could potentially be in contention for the alternate spots which would oh, then yeah, just be right. like the worst possible thing for the dash where like you're like great you made it but then we're missing you and you're not going to play probably <laughs> so at um, all yeah right yeah you're not going to play at all you right know, you have no opportunity yeah. to play for either club or country so, right yeah um so you know and i don't mean to disparage these players but like you said i mean we even saw in the world cup that jill had a choice to make at the midfield and who was going to be slotted in there and so you know i don't mean to disparage them yep. it's just that holy cow, the team is so loaded with talent right. that what are you going to do? Yeah. Unless we get some sort of miraculous player out of nowhere who is a natural left-footed left back, right, who suddenly can walk onto this team and and start at left back and oust Crystal Dunn, who has been converted, right? Like, that's always been the weakest point for this team. But you have a stack midfield. You have a stack forward line. You have depth at center back. Right. You know, maybe the question also becomes is where is our next generation of goalkeepers? 
going to come from, right? And so now we're seeing the question, right, right, and uh, having Alyssa Nair obviously is still a known entity right at the moment, but then has Ashlyn Harris just kind of like ascended past that backup spot? Like, is it time to start looking at? Franch or, you know, so Jane Campbell got the call up again, Aubrey Bledsoe from the Washington Spirit back in the mix. Um, Casey Murphy from OL Reign is another contender out there as well. But yeah, there's not. (laughs) What was funny to me about the World Cup is that everybody really thought that that midfield was so locked in. And then the first game, Sam Mewis is suddenly in starting in midfield and Lindsey Horan is kind of like left. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. how do you choose between those two? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I I do think it is going to be pretty interesting to see, you know, the, I think the bigger challenge here is do they really fight and like force the, like, that's the thing about the national team is that you bring these players in who can then force the players that you assume to be in your starting 11 to be better than ever because there's real challenge for their spots. But it is, it's just extremely tough to crack this roster, right? Yeah, well, and the Olympics is weird because of that 18 mm-hmm. limit, which is insane. But um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're Vlatko, I think you should be looking at the long game for some of this. I mean, for the Olympics, you're going to take your stars, right? I mean, it's just too soon and there's too much other crap going on with COVID. You're not getting a lot of time with this team, right? Like you're just not, you're not getting time to gel. That's the other part of it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there's just like the Olympics, you just bring the roster that you know, and you know, that we all know, and, and, and just go and play in the Olympics. All those people know each other and they know how to win. They know how to play. Um, and then, but if you're Vlaco, you're looking at your, your evaluation is looking toward uh, when you're looking at a Katarina is not looking toward the Olympics. It's looking toward the world cup. Right. So, uh, so I think that with some of those, some of those players and yeah, we should be talking about the goalkeeper. We should always be talking about the goalkeeper, you know, <laughs> have we learned our lessons from hope solo? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. We learned our lesson. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that that, yeah, that's the next thing. If you're Vlatko, um, you take, you definitely take Alyssa Nair to the Olympics and then maybe you're looking at French. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that, that, there's a lot happening on the US national team front. That is some, it is going to be very, it's going to be a time of change, right? Like that's the joy of the Olympics being postponed a year is that we get this kind of like extra time of like, well, now you have to balance a whole new cycle, right? Up against this postponed Olympics. We're not getting that kind of usual, like long-term change. Like now you're trying to balance both change and a result right off the bat. Um, all right. So let's call it there. Okay. <laughs> Annie, please, please tell people where they can find you. Uh, in addition to the AP, also maybe the newsletter that you oh. work on. Oh yeah, the newsletter. <laughs> um, yes, I'm writing that today. So, um, uh, so look at look for the nine newsletter. Um, if you can subscribe at on Twitter at the nine, and it's I X. Um, it's for title nine. So, uh, it's the nine newsletter on, on Twitter. And, uh, there, there's five of us. We all cover a different women's sport every day in your inbox, Substack, another newsletter. Um, I like to think our newsletter is great because we do all of the, you know, all women's sports and I'm still trying to convince Howard to let me do a volleyball (laughs) episode, right? And a volleyball issue hopefully closer to the Olympics. Um, and, uh, so, so the nine newsletter I write on Monday, it's soccer Mondays today. We'll have black co. Um, it's Monday for me, but for your listeners probably later in the week. Right, so, right. uh, so there's that, um, uh, you can find me on apnews.com, all one word, 
and you can find me on Twitter at Annie M. Peterson. Um, and I think that's about it. I have a fa AP Women's Soccer Facebook page that I don't ever update. So <laughs> if you want to follow that page, you're more than welcome to, but you're not going to get a whole lot of content. There. All right, valid. <laughs> my, my Facebook is, is like days away from being permanently del deleted, and I feel extremely, extremely good about it. So <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally given up on it. All right, well, Annie, thank you so much. Uh, for taking the time for walking us through NWSL Fall Series, Thorns, U.S. Women's National Team. Thank you for also covering it. I, I don't know if people appreciate how important having women's soccer coverage on the AP is, but uh, I'm very glad. I'm very glad that it's you. Well, thanks. We, I, I've been like kind of doubling my efforts this summer. So we covered every single, normally we just cover the scores, but during the challenge comp, I covered every single game. And during the fall series, I covered every single game. So, uh, so everybody got to see every single NWSL game this summer. I'm really proud of that. Um, and the other thing is I've been doing a women's soccer story at least once a week for the entire year, um, which is a lot considering, you know, I had a team in the playoffs in the day. NBA and right. um, I had to cover Oregon women's basketball, <laughs> um, which was super exciting. And now this and now college football is starting for me. But I've really made an effort to cover women's soccer. And I have also really made an effort in the past. Thanks to you. Um, I, I, I watched that um, the forum that you had with Sandra Herrera um, on diversity and inclusion. Bria. Yeah, Bria, and Steph, yep. yeah, and um, so I've been really, really focusing. It's it's in women's soccer in the United States is kind of a lot of white faces, mm -hmm. and I really took a look at my um, my coverage and making sure that I was covering people who um, are representative of the broader community, um, people of color and, um, you know, LGBTQ voices also. So um, that's been the thing I've most been proud of. Um, I, re I really took that. I really appreciate that conversation because I really took it yeah, to heart. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a straight white woman, right? So, uh, so I, I, feel like we really, really, it's, it's on all of us to make sure that all of the voices are heard and not just the voices of people who look like me. So. Well, I, I, super, I mean, I still feel like I just hosted, right? I was letting the three of them basically tell us what we needed to hear. Right. And I think that it's been really good that we've, we've kept that conversation going. I've tried to you know, make sure that all three have been on the pod, right? Um, I said in my my episode last week, I have uh, intentionally tried to minimize um, straight white men on the podcast. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. Just because I think that it's important that we start trying to figure out what voices are, are getting time in this space. And I think also, you know, that extends to the coverage as well. So I'm glad that that event was helpful. It's definitely stuck in the back of my brain as well. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It was really, I mean, even in um, major league soccer, you know, um, I've really, really taken that to heart to make sure that we're, 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 we're looking at the broader communities. Yeah. All right. Well, Annie, thank you. Thank you for the time. I told you 45 minutes. We're going on an hour now. So I super Oh, holy cow. Really? Yeah. I'm right. having so much fun. It's just like hanging out with you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Thanks to everybody. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks to Annie for joining us. Just a delightful, <laughs> delightful person. Uh, that's our show for this week. I will be back with you next Thursday. As always, I'm actually going on vacation uh, this weekend, so I will be back refreshed, hopefully. All right. So one more thing. Usually I say one more thing to end the show with, but I'm going to completely cheat this week. And I'm going to pick two things that I would like you to read on The Athletic. So first, I 100% want you to read Matt Pence's piece on Madison Hammond of O.L. Rain from this past week. It is typical Pence in that he is truly one of the best at a profile that always goes well beyond the pitch. But the opening story of Madison Hammond seeing Becky Sauerbrunn on the other side of the field 
fills me with joy and honestly like made me laugh out loud. So second, I got to moonlight as a hockey writer this week for The Athletic, and that's because of one of my all-time favorites and just an all-around excellent human being and Megan Duggan retired from women's hockey on Tuesday, and I tried to do my best to sum up what it was like to watch her play, but also what it was like to watch her as a leader, both nationally, professionally, just as a person, right? And I'm just very grateful to the hockey staff who let me step in to write a story that I I really fundamentally felt I had to write. And honestly, I still don't think I even scratched the surface. All right. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast and would like for other people to enjoy this podcast as well, rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts is one of the easiest ways to make that happen, I promise. Subscribing it or su- subscribing to it or following it also plays a role too and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts including Apple, Spotify, and The Athletic. Again, that offer for a new subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month is at theathletic.com/fulltime. You can find me on Twitter at it's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.